0: conversations with the experts. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottomline Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Mark Agronin, a board-certified geriatric psychiatrist and director of mental health services, clinical research, and the Outpatient Memory Center at Miami Jewish Health. He's also the author of the new book, The End of Old Age, Living a Longer, More Purposeful Life. So welcome, Mark.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you so much.
0: So your book isn't about living longer, is it? It's really about living a long life in a much fuller way. Is that, is that right?
1: That, that's absolutely true. I think a lot of people approach old age with two different perspectives. Either they look at it as something that they fear that's full of decline and some really terrible things, or they look at it as something that somehow they can stave off or cure or do something about But either way, we really don't end up embracing the potential that we gain, the strengths that we gain as we get older. And so for me, the whole point of the book is to take a broader look at this whole process of aging and try to get away from this very negative view of being old that we have and instead look at aging as a dynamic developmental process in our lives that really bring us some of the greatest gifts that we have, not only for ourselves, but for our our community as well.
0: Yeah, you know it's so funny in this in this world of identity politics. In some ways, society and individuals—we both have to stop being so ageist, right? The young people discriminate against the older people, and the the society discriminates against it because we put them out to pasture. And people themselves are viewing themselves as done. You talk about we complain about you know how we're feeling and that we can't remember things anymore and that we hurt, um, and we're we're stopping our own progress from being able to develop
1: at this stage. It's very true. We don't think twice about putting down aging. I'll give you a good example. I had a colleague who recently had his 50th birthday. Now, I don't think any of us would consider 50 uh, old at all, but they- Not anymore, I don't. uh, Not anymore, not at all. (laughs) He was given a series of gag gifts, all of which poked fun at his age. So for instance, they gave him these little lollipops that said 50 sucks on them. They gave him this uh, it was is called a, it was like a doctor bag, but it was from Doctor Decrepit. Uh, they gave him this like package of these marbles, and it said the Lost Your Marbles Replacement Kit. And everyone is is laughing and poking fun at it. And I thought if if this was something that was making fun of his his ethnicity or his religion, or you know, we would be rightfully horrified and offended by it. So why is it that aging is still something that's such a fair target that we can poke fun at and not really think about it? Because we're really putting ourselves down. And we internalize those negative attitudes and it impacts the choices we make and how we look at aging in a very negative way.
0: Right. Well, and it's so true. Now, meanwhile, let me talk out of the other side of my mouth for the moment, because the fact of the matter is that our bodies are not as, as lithe or as strong as they were when they were younger and our brains do shift, right? So we really do need to respect and understand the changes that our bodies are, and no, a 50-year-old is not the same as a 20-year-old for good and for bad.
1: That is true, and that's really the the subject of the clinical work I do because people come to me with really severe physical and mental issues, and so I see that downside of it, and that's true, and we cannot ignore that. We have to address it, but that's only half the story. If we only focus on that part of it, we're missing a whole other part of aging that balances it out and can even take us to different levels. I'm convinced because I've seen it not only in my own life, but in that of so many patients, even individuals who have really severe problems, that when you take a more positive attitude, you strategize on ways to use your strengths to make things better, you really experience a very different aging process. It really becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And in the book, I even talk about, about research that shows that people who have more positive attitudes towards aging actually end up living longer. Now- My point is, you know, living longer is important, but we really, at the end of the day, want to live better.
0: Right. Well, and again, I think that, you know, we have been so trained in society to view the glass as half empty. We wake up and we complain. Nobody talks about the good news. What's all over the broadcast TV? It's all about the complaints and the problems versus the celebration of the upside of things. And I think that we have all been so acculturated to complain rather than to identify the the benefits of aging and the benefits of anything in any given day.
1: It's true. And there are consequences to that because as you get older and and in particular for for individuals in their 80s and 90s, if you take that attitude when you're facing challenges that certainly are surmountable, but people sometimes tend to give up where they see physicians or or other individuals who really aren't going to go the distance to help them. And they ignore the fact that there's so much we can do to improve the aging process. And so those attitudes begin when we're young and and unfold throughout our entire life.
0: And it begins with each individual person, as you said, the the way that they view the world. I'm talking to bottom line expert, Dr. Mark Gronin about his new book, The End of Old Age, and how staying young starts with the understanding that we're not simply getting old, but that we are refining skills as we age. This book will turn your perspective on aging inside out with case histories and beautiful stories of how people evolve, not erode as they age. The End of Old Age is available at our bottomline Store at BottomLineStore.com. And when you use coupon code EVOLVE, that's E-V-O-L-V-E, you'll get 20% off when you buy it. Visit BottomLineStore.com, your expert source for wellness and more. BottomLineStore.com. Let's talk for a second about, so you talk about the five elements of wisdom. Right. And these are the, the pieces that people start to, or, you know, the areas in which they are improving and growing. So can we go through what those are and the talk about those? Cause that's, that's the key to it all, right?
1: Sure. Well, I, I take a page from a lot of the research that's been done on intelligence. And one thing, you know, we've seen very clearly is that intelligence is just not one single element. That there are many different forms of intelligence. And that's why, you know, you may have a, a child who has really, Artistic gifts, but might not be so great at math or vice versa, but we recognize that everyone has different strengths. Um, you can't be strong in everything. I look at wisdom the same way. You know, we tend to think about wisdom as someone who can, can take their knowledge and and ability and apply it to decision making, but it's a lot more than that. And, and so I divided it up based on all the research on wisdom that I, that I've studied and seen in my practice into five different Types of wisdom or five different people, as I call them. And I call these the, the savant, the sage, the curator, the creator, and the seer. And each one represents a different form of wisdom that we, we may be really strong in one area and not so much in another. Even for individuals who are facing uh, cognitive changes, physical changes, they still have areas of wisdom that they can um, express. And this makes all the difference in terms of their own well-being and that for other people.
0: And I think that's such an important element for people to realize that you know number 1 you were saying that everyone has their different strengths right so this isn't just about the superstars continuing to be superstars you have a story in your book about I forget her name it's might have been Mary that makes the meatballs yes right that she yes, plays a Mary. very important role in her family as she's you know kind of the, the the senior of the family and the holding together of the family lore as she makes the meatballs and they have their family dinners and that, that, no matter how big or small, that we don't realize all the places that we're touching people every day and the, the gems of brilliance that everybody has in some corner of their lives.
1: Someone like Mary is a glue to their family. I, I call her a savant because she has, um, some noteworthy knowledge and skills that no one in the family can do the way she can. So she teaches them. She does it with them. It's her meatballs. It's her lasagna. It, it's, it's her you know, the ritual of cooking and, and getting together with the family throughout every Sunday. It's extraordinary the impact that this has had on the family. Now, other people, it might not be some particular skill or knowledge, but they're, they're amazing at having insight and judgment. This is what I call the sage. And these are individuals that are our mentors and, and leaders and coaches. There's individuals who they have such a deep sense of care and concern and empathy for other people and other places they're the individuals who are, who are caretakers. They're, they're guardians. These are curators, as I call them. They're individuals so who So let's, let's walk through them. Cause old-
0: you're, Mark, let's walk through them a little uh, carefully. Sure. Cause you, you're, you and I know what they are and we're kind of melding through them. So the savant, Mary's a savant. And that's somebody who has that, that's a unique knowledge that they have that as you age, that there are really pockets of wisdom, of knowledge. I, I can't use a wisdom, but pockets of knowledge that you have accumulated through your life and that you're then expert in to share. Is that correct?
1: That's exactly it. That may be the, the, the storyteller of the family or a genealogist. Um, you know, they have something that they do uniquely. Um,
0: okay, Tuzana, let's talk about the sage.
1: So the sage is someone who, because of their experience, they have really unique insight and judgment. And I would say, along with that, that they're really committed to the greater good. Uh, you know, we the the classic example from literature is King Solomon, someone who is able to really make great decisions but is able to do it in a way that serves a higher value. And so these are people who maybe are mentors for us, um, docents at museums, um, coaches. They're just so good at guiding people and, you know, when we have difficult situations, we would turn to them uh, for help. I see this all the time, uh, even in individuals who, who are in their 80s and 90s who have debility, that the, the family sometimes will go to them when they're grieving, uh, when they, they're uncertain, they're facing a crisis because they know these individuals have been there and done it so many times that they're really good at giving everyone perspective.
0: You know, it's so funny. I had an example of that with my own father about, Eight years ago, we were having a challenge at business and I went and I talked to him and I had to say, you know, we had, we were faced with this really difficult decision and I'm in tears and he goes, why are you crying? And I said, well, I feel like I failed. And he goes, so you fail. Like the, the perspective was, was so reassuring that it was, it was perfect. Like and that, nobody could have said that to me in that way, besides someone who's been through it all.
1: And the key ingredient there is age age is what gave him the experience and the know-how to be able to not only say that to you, but to understand that this is the right thing to say to you. And this, this is, you know, for the best.
0: Yes, exactly. Okay. So let's talk about the curator.
1: So these are individuals who really are concerned, not only about other people, but about our, our community, our, our rituals. Um, they're, they're all about making connections with other people. It might not be a certain type of knowledge. They might not be making a lot of decisions, but, uh, they want to take care of the world, take care of the family, take care of the community. This might be someone like a foster grandparent, uh, someone who is a volunteer with an organization and wants to help support it either through time or through money. Um, we need these individuals because they have, they're, they're similar to, if you go back to, you know, tribes in ancient times, these are the elders who knew the whole history. They knew the rituals and, and they, they kept everyone together with a common purpose.
0: So in modern society, you know, again, society doesn't appreciate these skills so much. You know, that, that are we, is it up to us as individuals and the important message in your book for people to acknowledge, realize it, realize it within themselves as they're aging, but then for the families to look to it, the younger generations to understand and appreciate the elders, we are not a society that appreciates elders.
1: Well, this is, and, and my concern is that with the pace of technology and social media now, uh, in many senses, young people are taking on not only leadership, but sometimes to the exclusion of older individuals. And I think that's a, that's a loss. And I would attribute some of the excesses that we see with uh, social media to the fact that sometimes you don't have, quote unquote, parents in the room. For elders who can say, you know, what is our purpose here? You know, what are what are our um you know, what are we trying to achieve here and to put some brakes on things and to remind us of what our core values are. That's what curators do. And and when we lose individuals like that, it's really at our own peril because we we begin to lose our values, we begin to lose our history and our base. Doesn't mean that these things don't change and evolve over time, but we still have to keep those things in mind and remind us either in a good or a bad way. So to give you the example, I, in the book I talk about a Holocaust survivor who every year travels with students back to Poland, takes them to Auschwitz, shows where she was, tells what happens to her family because she wants, it's so important to her before she passes on to remind them of you know great evil. And to, and oh, it was to a phenomenal them, story. And to help them make a commitment to doing things better in the world by by imparting her own history to her. And, you know, she's an unforgettable individual in their lives. Uh, and no, that story was so
0: powerful. Yeah. And, and you can't those kids can't can't get the impact of their experience by reading it in a book versus what she's able to bring to life for them.
1: Yeah, this is this is the key thing about an, a curator, because they bring that living presence. It's you're right. It's not you can read a, a book of, you know, witnesses to history. But when you hear it from face to face with someone. It's really extraordinary. And I, I remember, for instance, uh, when I worked at a VA hospital in the nineties, you know, most of my patients were World War II veterans and I heard of, of the battles of the struggles face to face from them. And it's, it's extraordinary because you, you understand the history in, in a fundamentally different way than if you're just reading about it.
0: Right. Okay. Let's talk about the creator now.
1: Well, one thing that's clear is that as we get older, we have the potential to be even more creative than we were when we were younger. Now, this may be someone who's artistic. It may be a hobbyist, a craftsman. It might be someone who is working on their own body in terms of uh, being you know, involved in a senior Olympics. It might be someone who likes to explore and travel and going on adventures. But the bottom line is that their their basic motivation and interest is to do something new and different. And in some ways, as we get older, we're more liberated to do that after retirement, we might not have all the same responsibilities. So we just have more time to do that. And a lot of people, after so many years of thinking or doing in one way, we know that our brain begins to think in more positive ways. As we approach the end of life, we begin to think in less ideological ways, what we call post-formal thinking. So it's not just about um, you know societal changes that enable this, but our brains are, are changing and growing in ways at the same time we're facing changes and decline. But growing in ways that allow us to be more creative. And I think the best examples, if you go to any museum and you look at the works of someone like Matisse, I talk about Matisse. Many of his greatest works were done at the very end of his life after he had been very ill and had recovered from an almost deathly illness. Um, a lot of great folk artists, they achieved the, the, the apex of their work in the latter part of their lives, often in their eighties and nineties. And so, you know, whether it's, uh, Again, a hobbyist, an artist, an explorer, whatever. Aging is what gives us newfound abilities to really think in, in, in creative ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Grandma Moses, a classic as well. I mean, I don't know that she ever painted when she was 20. Um,
1: she, she, she was an artist when she was younger, but when she really came into her own was when she was later in life. And part of it was about painting about her memories of growing up on, on a farm in the past. But she was able to do it in a way which was so different and right. so unique. And it was so modern at the same time. It reminded us of something from the past.
0: Well, in some ways, actually, that combines. It's, it's the creative aspect of her, but then it brings in, was it the sage, right? Well, that's bringing in the stories yes. and the curator that's, right? That's bringing in these other elements of her life to yeah. tell the stories and to share that.
1: And that's such an important point because we can take all the different strengths across these different areas of wisdom. And when we bring them together, it's so powerful. Um, but it's important for people to, to take stock of what they have. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that we have all of this wisdom. And that's really why I wanted to break it out into different areas, because if you think about wisdom in a very broad area, you begin to really understand what you've achieved and gained throughout your lifetime and what you still have in you, almost like a form of currency to spend as you get older even as you face adversity.
0: Yes, absolutely. And we're going to talk about that in, again, a, more detail on how we evolve to and understand these elements in our next segment. Um, let's talk though about the last element of wisdom, the seer.
1: Well, this is someone who just has such a well-developed sense of insight, of spirituality, acceptance, gratitude towards life, and they're able to to experience this on their own. They're able to experience it other people. So they, th- this may be someone who's a spiritual leader at a church or synagogue, um, someone who is able to impart and show us this acceptance of, of life and, and of what we face. I would link this to an experience I've had as, as a psychiatrist. Most of the people I see are in their 80s and 90s. I've had almost no one who talks about a fear of, of death and, and that, and lets that consume, uh, their life. Most people find a way to live on and grow. Even in the face of that, they find an acceptance of that. And that's something you can't do as well. When you're younger, you need age to help you with something like that. And it has so many different impacts. Um, And the seer is someone that is able to really give us that, that transcendent view of, of history and of life.
0: Right. So important. And so interesting that these, these elements really are within everybody. And you we're going to, we're going to, Mark, we're going to end this segment. I think that, you know, the important takeaway here is that we as a society have to stop picking on ourselves and we as individuals have to stop picking on ourselves. And we have to understand that with each stage of life, comes different knowledge and different experience and different roles in the world. Your book is so important, Mark, so I'm thrilled that we talked today. We're going to talk more in future podcasts, and the book itself is available in the Bottom Line Store. Again, the name of the book is The End of Old Age, and come to BottomLineStore.com, and you can read it for yourself and hear all these great stories. Thank you so much, Mark Gronin. Thank you so much. I'm talking to Bottom Line expert Dr. Marka Gronin about his new book, The End of Old Age, and how staying young starts with the understanding that we're not simply getting old, but that we are refining skills as we age. This book will turn your perspective on aging inside out with case histories and beautiful stories of how people evolve, not erode as they age. The End of Old Age is available at our Bottom Line store at BottomLineStore.com. And when you use coupon code EVOLVE, That's E-V-O-L-V-E. You'll get 20% off when you buy it. Visit BottomLineStore.com, your expert source for wellness and more. BottomLineStore.com.